Good morning and welcome to WGN TV Political Report. I'm Paul Lisnick. And I'm Timon Bradley. We begin today in a new phase of Illinois' fight against COVID-19. As of 5 o'clock last night, the entire state is officially under a stay-at-home order from Governor J.B. Pritzker. And it means exactly that, Timon. Don't leave the house unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, you can still go get gas and groceries and prescriptions. You can go to the doctor or, thank goodness, walk your dogs. Essential services remain open. The move is meant to stop the spread of the novel coronavirus in Illinois. The state has reported 168 new cases in the past 24 hours. That brings the statewide total to 753, and another person died from the outbreak, bringing the total deaths to six. We're in the middle of a battle, and we need reinforcements. I'm asking all former physicians, nurses, physicians, assistants, nurse practitioners, and respiratory care therapists who've recently left the field, whether for retirement or a new profession, to come back and join the fight against COVID-19. We need your help now. Now, Governor Pritzker says the state will waive fees and expedite the licensing process so that healthcare workers can rejoin the workforce right away. The state says more than 6,000 tests have been administered here. Still, supplies remain extremely short. Illinois officials blame a small rollout by the federal government. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, a lead member of the White House task force, now says doctors should avoid testing patients except in cases where the results would significantly change treatment. Not every single person in the United States needs to get tested. When you go in and get tested, you are consuming personal protective equipment, masks and gowns. The shift in strategy comes as healthcare workers are sounding the alarm, saying medical supplies like masks and gloves are starting to run out. So how does the government forge a path forward? Mark Densler is the president and CEO of the Illinois Manufacturing Association. Mark is joining us this morning via FaceTime. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. The governor announced sales tax deferrals for bars and restaurants and SBA loan eligibility. Also, the industries you cover are exempt from the stay-at-home order and allowed to report to work. Uh, why was that so critical? Well, good morning. Thanks for having me this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, certainly, we appreciate the leadership of Governor Pritzker, uh, through this uh, process, he's very, been very calm and a leader, uh, and also all the healthcare professionals and truckers and manufacturers. But manufacturers are rising to the challenge today. They are making life-saving products. They're helping restock our grocery stores and make sure people have access to food, uh, providing personal protective equipment for our first responders. And so it's important to keep these essential manufacturers operating. And, Mark, I, I want to think we want to distinguish for people the difference between production and the supply chain, getting goods and services. You know, look, we know we're not seeing toilet paper in stores and hand sanitizer. Is it a production issue or a supply chain delivery issue? Uh, actually, we're producing and we're supplying. Unfortunately, folks are hoarding these supplies. Uh, everyone should remain calm. Manufacturers are working with retailers and distributors to make sure all these products are put on the shelf. And one of the important things you talked about is supply chain. Uh, you know, the governor talked about yesterday when you buy a loaf of bread, it's not only the bread, but it's the bag that comes in or the twist tie. Um, or you look at sanitizers that require chemical manufacturers to work. And so we have to make sure that essential manufacturers and their supply chain are operating. And again, we are producing the product. Our members are increasing capacity. They're working overtime. 
Uh, just folks have to be rational and calm and, and don't hoard or stockpile these goods. And Mark, Illinois' food supply chain is strong and steady despite orders not to hoard groceries. We do see grocery stores packed with people. If the virus spreads, as some people fear, will you be able to continue to feed uh, the state's population? Uh, yes, Illinois has a very strong food supply network and supply chain, and our manufacturers and farmers are continuing to do what's necessary. Uh, I don't have any worry that we're going to see a shortage of food. Again, people need to be rational, uh, but we'll continue providing that food. We have a very strong uh, food supply system. Well, Mark, it almost sounds, Mark, as though the limitations, the kind of hoarding you're talking about, it ain't your fault. It's not about the fault of delivery people getting there. It looks like that responsibility has to be on the grocery stores, on the drug stores, on that sort of final end where people are buying from. That's who's got to place the limits. Is there any impact that your association has in working with the stores to create those kinds of, of limitations? Uh, we're working with the Retail Merchants Association and stores to get the message out that you shouldn't hoard. And our members are really increasing production. There's great stories across Illinois uh, we have a liquor distributor that shut down the line for their vodka, and they're now making hand sanitizer. Uh, we have a clothing manufacturer that makes suits that's now shut down, and they're making gowns and masks. So uh, manufacturers are rising to the occasion again. They're producing these goods, but ultimately we all have an obligation. Number one, to stay at home if we don't have to go out. Uh, number two, don't hoard these products and help our neighbors. Mark, long term, how worried are you about demand? Obviously, your factories are cranking out stuff, but are you concerned that Illinois residents won't be buying your products this spring and this summer? Hopefully not. Uh, you know, there's a long way to go in this, but uh, manufacturers, first and foremost, I should say, are concerned about the safety of their employees, uh, the safety of their communities and their families. So they're taking all appropriate steps uh, in terms of imposing new sanitation requirements and the minimum spacing requirements. So we believe that manufacturers will continue operating. We've helped meet every challenge that's arisen in our nation's history. And this is one more challenge we face today. But I'm confident that the Illinois and American manufacturing sector will come through. Um, the president has activated the Defense Production Act, empowering him to order the manufacture of certain items. Getting anything from the federal government, any orders coming your way that you're aware of in terms of any kind of restructuring of anything? Uh, not that I'm aware of yet, but our members started a week or two ago repurposing their facilities. Uh, we have packaging manufacturers, for example, that now can transmit. They've got FDC or CDC approval to transmit COVID tests. And as I said, repurposing their facilities before the president issued that order because they knew what the necessary supplies were and what needed to be manufactured. All right. Mark Densler, president and CEO of the Illinois Manufacturers Association. Thanks so much for joining Thank us you, this sir. morning. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Up next, we're talking with Congresswoman Lauren Underwood. Stay with us. In Washington, the top four members of Congress will meet with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin this morning. Negotiators are trying to finalize a stimulus package that could add up to at least $1.6 trillion. We are making progress on a bipartisan basis and to be on the floor on uh, Monday uh, with a hopefully very significant uh, bipartisan package to help rescue the economy and to get greater funding for all of the health care aspects of this pandemic. 
Democrats have cautioned there is still no deal. The two sides continue to disagree over boosting paid sick leave and bailouts for industries affected by COVID-19 and whether or not money will be sent directly to U.S. households. Still, it's unclear if the final proposal will have enough support to pass through the House. Our guest is a former nurse who served in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, was a senior advisor for preparedness and response. She is now the Democratic representative of Illinois' 14th congressional district. Congresswoman Lauren Underwood is joining us this morning from Naperville. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning to you. Congresswoman, let me ask you, obviously this debate goes on between Democrats and Republicans. Senate supposedly going to take some action this afternoon. Um, but talk about the importance of checks going to individuals, small businesses, as opposed to what might be considered a bailout. Or should an initial bill do all of that? So we've been hearing so much from people throughout Northern Illinois throughout this past week. I've been in touch with superintendents, local chambers of commerce, mayors, who are all saying the same thing. Our small businesses are hurting. Our families are feeling uh, the impact of the of the pandemic on their, their household budgets and their incoming revenue streams, and they need some relief. Uh, this would be the third of the stimulus bailout packages that we will have worked on this month. So the first was a bailout, um, I'm sorry, it was a stimulus for the uh, state and local health departments, uh, and also included some money for small business. Low interest loans, about three and a half percent to the Small Business Administration that just came online this week, actually. Uh, folks can visit disasterloan.sba.gov for more information on that. The second package had to do with um, paid sick days, unemployment insurance, expanding family and medical leave, uh, supplement, uh, supplemental nutrition services for schools and for seniors, things like that. And so this third package is the one that's first beginning to talk about the direct cash assistance, which I do think is important. Congresswoman, in terms of the Senate Republican plan, these direct cash payments to Americans, do you think people are actually going to spend the money? And would that money be better spent uh, trying to come up with a vaccine, being invested in hospitals, and to come up with better treatment options? Well, you know, this, we are not in a scarcity scenario where right now we're forced to consider either or. We have to have an inclusive approach that, yes, encourages vaccine and treatment development. Yes, supports uh, families. Uh, we know that the American people often don't have an emergency fund of more than $500, right? And so this type of cash infusion is really necessary when so many workers in our uh, service-based economy uh, and even some manufacturers have begun letting their staff go. Uh, nobody wanted to be in this kind of position, but but certainly uh, the social distancing orders and the CDC guidance has sort of led us to this place. Um, and so we want to make sure that those families are getting needed relief. You know, obviously, Congresswoman, you're dealing with lots of issues. In addition to the stimulus, uh, the uh, government has put travel restrictions at level four into place now. So not a lot of travel going on uh, anywhere, much less internationally, which pretty much should not. Yeah. My question is, we also know that countries like Canada are sending planes to go get their citizens back who are stuck in other countries. I know colleague Senator uh, Dick Durbin, Tammy Duckworth, they've sent a letter uh, basically saying, look, we've got to go get Americans. Can you update us on all that? What are you or what is the House doing on that front? Yes. Well, we just had uh, some constituents that were returned to the United States just early this morning, like overnight from Morocco. Um, British Airways, in partnership with American Airlines, had five or six planes from Morocco to bring stranded Americans back before their air closed this evening over in Morocco. We are aware of challenges in Peru and Haiti and Honduras. Um, and so those families around Northern Illinois that happen to be watching this who have 
loved ones that are stranded in countries abroad, be in touch with your representative. We are working closely with the State Department to try to ensure that any American abroad can come home. Well, we're talking about travel, Congresswoman. Chicago-based United Airlines says it needs help to get through the next few weeks. They're warning without assistance the airline would be forced to make layoffs. Do you think the airline industry needs a bailout? Well, I think that there are many impacted industries, uh, travel, tourism, hospitality, obviously the restaurant industry. Um, we've seen a significant impact to our local economy. We know travel and tourism is a big part of the Illinois economy. And so I think that they probably do need some help. Uh, but what we don't want to do is give assistance uh, with any, without any conditions, right? We know that these types of companies sometimes engage in practices like layoffs, uh, stock buybacks, and the like after receiving cash infusions, and that's what we don't want to have happen. Um, I'm also curious, with, with the efforts that you guys are making in terms of getting money out, this may cost the, the uh, government between $1.7 and $2 trillion with a T. We already have a deficit that's over a trillion dollars. You know, should, are Democrats, Republicans, anybody concerned about that, or is the situation dire enough that it's sort of the, hey, deficit is what it's going to be? Well, it is very concerning. You know, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 added a trillion dollars to our deficit. Um, it has really tied our hands at this type of an emergency because there's just less liquidity and flexibility that we can that we can work with and may have to borrow more in order to pay for these types of stimulus activities. However, we know that without an immediate action from the government, our, our risk of heading into a recession and then a depression is much higher. And so what we're trying to do is take urgent, decisive action right now to support American families um, and businesses. Uh, Congresswoman, there's uh, worry about uh, the health of uh, members of Congress, and there's debate about uh, you guys gathering what would constitute a, a quorum. Can you uh, talk a little bit about uh, how Congress will continue to conduct business during this emergency? Well, I'm standing by waiting my um, my summons back to Washington, D.C. We've been told we'll get 24 hours notice before we have to head back to vote. We have two of our colleagues who have been infected with the coronavirus. Um, and, you know, it's been a wake up call. The Congress needs to be a modern uh, workplace. And, you know, these kinds of um, accommodations to allow for remote voting or other means of execu executing our Article One responsibilities needs to be considered. I mean, this is a real conversation about continuity of government, which is part of every single preparedness plan I've ever worked on, continuity of operations, certainly. And so um, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that they are taking this uh, consideration seriously, and I'm looking forward to understanding what the plan is going forward. Yeah, it's interesting because remote voting is certainly not prevented by law or the Constitution. All right, stay with us. We're going to finish our conversation with Congresswoman Lauren Underwood when we come back. Welcome back to WGN TV Political Report. We are still talking with Congresswoman Lauren Underwood of Illinois' 14th District. Congresswoman, thank you for joining us from Naperville this morning. The state thank of Illinois. The state of Illinois is waking up to a stay home order. Do you think we need a national order? Do you think that would make a difference? Well, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a geographic difference in spread across the country. Illinois is one of 10 states with hotspots, uh, but the rest of the states are seeing a little bit slower rate of community spread uh, and fewer cases. And so right now, um, what we're seeing is the states like ours, New York, New Jersey, California, Washington State, really leaning in and being a 
aggressive uh, about the the activities that are being activated by the local governors and state and local officials uh, in order to limit that community spread. But it's not the same everywhere yet. Um, and so I think that it's really important that we are all mindful, heed the CDC guidance and take this advice really seriously to keep ourselves and our families safe. Um, but I think that uh, we should continue to do these kind of state by state responses for the time being. Congresswoman, the world knew about this threat. Certainly the U.S. did back in December. The president said he acted immediately to stop travel from China. How effective has the administration response been? And by the way, because you're a nurse, is it already too late to contain this virus? Well, we see that we are shifting a little bit from a containment strategy to a mitigation strategy, which I think is important. Um, the more widespread availability of tests, but more importantly, uh, community resources to be able to treat people, um, set up community isolation beds and things like that is really important um, to halt the spread, particularly in like nursing homes and places where people don't have uh, alternative spaces to go, right? We need to be turning those community resources like empty hotels or repurposed government buildings online to be able to shift people out of those facilities and into facilities that are clean and safe and healthy. Um, more broadly, I think that the administration uh, could do a bit more to be more forthcoming. We don't, we still don't know how many tests have been completed nationwide. There's no official number from the government. Uh, we don't know the rate at which the PP is being shipped nationwide, right? That is unacceptable. Um, and unfortunately, I, I am concerned that there is still a considerable amount of disinformation being spread at, at the task force, that White House task force daily briefing. Um, and so I hope that they will encourage each other to just stick with the facts and the science in order to inform the American people. Congresswoman, health officials are discouraging people to take the COVID-19 tests if their only symptoms are mild. Uh, what is your message to people who feel sick, think there's something they can get over at home if they just stay home and take fluids, uh, but they're not sure? What's your message to those people? Reach out to your health care provider. It's very important that people call their provider before trying to walk into any kind of clinic, urgent care, or hospital. Um, that conversation with the provider is going to give you a lot of tips. They're going to do some screenings. Uh, they might have some telemedicine capacity where they could do a Skype call like this to be able to do a visual assessment. Um, it's really important that those individuals be in touch with their provider and heed their advice. That provider is going to be the one that's going to order a test if it's necessary and medically indicated. The provider is going to give you recommendations for how to care for yourself and your family at home, if that's what's indicated. And that provider is going to tell you where to go in the community to get any treatment that might be indicated. Congressman, basically out of time, but look, the, the nurses are being told, reuse your mask, get a bandana. Is that good advice? Well, we're encouraging all of our health providers uh, to heed the CDC guidance. Um, obviously, there's a shortage nationwide. Uh, we're encouraging people to be thoughtful and diligent and judicious with the supply that they have on hand, not be wasteful. Um, and, you know, folks have extras laying around to go ahead and reach out to the health department to see if they can donate it. All right, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, thank you very much. Coming up next, with the cloud of the coronavirus hovering over Election Day, voters in Illinois still delivered some surprising results on Tuesday. We're breaking down an out-of-the-ordinary primary when we come back.
Despite concerns over the spread of the coronavirus, Illinois officials pressed forward with a statewide primary election on Tuesday. And even with problems at the polls, voters handed down some surprising results in Chicago and beyond. In the 3rd Congressional District, Marie Newman made a rematch work in her favor, unseating incumbent Dan Lipinski. In 2018, she lost by 2100 votes, but on Tuesday, she became the clear winner. Newman did well in the southwest suburbs of the district, but she also held her own on Chicago's southwest side, where Lipinski and old machine politics often dominate. But I wanted to make sure the district wanted me to run because it would be silly if the district didn't. So that's why I had um, dozens of meet and greets um, and did a lot of research with community leaders. I like to think about it that we now have put the district in alignment with their values. It's, it's not about who we beat, it's what we're doing, what, how we're going to move forward. Congressman Dan Lipinski is the first House incumbent to lose a primary this year. In November, Newman will face Republican Mike Frizzalone in what has traditionally been a Democratic district. Perhaps one of the least watched races this season provided the biggest shock of the week. Indicted 14th Ward Alderman Ed Burke is on track to lose his position as Democratic committeeman. Though the final vote count isn't in yet, State Rep Aaron Ortiz has declared already declared that he's the victor, holding a margin of about 400 votes over the one-time powerful alderman. Burke has served as the head of the 14th Ward's political organization since 1968 and alderman since 1969. He is facing 14 corruption counts, including extortion and accusations of using his city council seat to gain business for his law firm. He's slated to go on trial sometime next year. Taman, lots of interesting results. I just thought the Kim Fox state's attorney's race was interesting because Jussie Smollett, you'd think, was going to overpower that race. But in the end, she overcome, uh, overcame that and beat out her competition. Won by a large margin. Also, state senator. Iris Martinez prevailing in the race to replace uh, Dorothy Brown. A lot of people thought it might be Michael Carbonarghi, but in fact, it was Iris Martinez. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. And we will see you next week on Political Report. Stay safe, everybody. Stay inside.